Welcome to Experience Junkies. On this show, I spotlight meeting and event professionals, global travelers, jet setters, and more to relive the moments we never want to forget. More importantly, we'll attempt as best we can to transport listeners to transformational points in our lives, sharing our observations and emotions behind these stories. By diving into the indelible impact these experiences have had on us, we decode small takeaways about how to be better humans than we were yesterday. Welcome back to the show. Today's episode, I've got John Pistotti. He is an account executive in the virtual event and hybrid event uh, tech space. And you're in for a treat for this conversation. We talked about it all. We talked about having a personal brand, why there's value in posting on social media and building a presence online. We talked about experience design and what it really means to be attendee-centric and how you can build a community uh, outside of just hosting an event, whether in person or virtual. So I hope you buckle up for this conversation. I will mention there's a quick mention of uh, John's time at the Playboy Mansion. So definitely want to hear what he has to say. And uh, yeah, that's a great conversation with John today uh, and enjoy the show. I am so excited today to have a friend of the show on with me having a conversation. Today, I am proud to present to some and reintroduce the others, uh, the lovely John Pistotti. I don't know if you like the, the term lovely before your name, but we're going to rock do, with actually. it, John. <laughs> <laughs> so John and I met on LinkedIn. He was, had his infamous coffee quotes. He's the, the guy in a suit holding a mug of coffee, um, giving you a motivational quote for the day. And I think you've kind of transitioned that um, to something else kind of different moving forward, John. But why don't we start off with you telling the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Thanks so much. It is absolute an honor to be here and to be referred to as lovely. And uh, I'm someone who doubled down on, on using LinkedIn about five years ago when it was definitely not as bustling. And it's really incredible to see all the interesting relationships and, and really meaningful friendships that I've developed throughout the course of the year, as well as some great business opportunities. So I've been involved in events and event production for 10, 15, 20 years, depending on, you know, if, if we want to bring it all the way back to when I started as a DJ, when I was in high school, um, I was involved in ASB, you know, tying balloons together and creating archways and all these kind of things that I didn't realize were just building on experiences, some of which I know that we're going to cover, but eventually that led me to work in audiovisual production and more recently, uh, technology, doing sales for event technology companies. And, um, and that's kind of uh, what I do. I help people try to identify how they can deliver their brand or their organization's message in a meaningful and impactful way. Yeah, you've had a pretty interesting career journey. And we're going to dive into that a little bit. I like that you kind of alluded to the fact that you started really on the production side. What prompted you to kind of move over to the dark side of sales? Like what, where was the, that impetus and where'd that come from? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. A lot of times people were always trying to push me away from sales and I was always trying to veer towards it because I actually have a lot of technical skills. I, I'm an audio engineer. I'm a lighting designer. So I've done a lot of work for doing lighting at, at concerts. And I was always fascinated both I love to, I'm a people person. Uh, so I, I love to work with clients and, um, and meet people and help them identify solutions. The other thing, like, just to be perfectly frank was that 
I worked a lot of really wait, late nights and long hours doing 12 hours, 14, 16 hour days. And uh, especially when I was at the Hard Rock Hotel and we would have uh, the parties would end sometimes at 2 a.m. And we have to strike everything till 4 a.m. and then load in the next event the next morning and be back in you know a short turn less than eight hours and all those kind of things. And I was realizing that I was like, you know, and don't get me wrong, there, you can make a lot of really great money, especially if you're really skilled. But I was like, I'm still like more or less broke and I'm like working 80 <laughs> hours a week. So I kind of need to figure this out as I'm having a child and that. And, but the other thing is that for me, you know, there are so many connotations with sales. I love, there's a recent video and I think presentation that you're giving for MPI about, you know, this connotation that nine out of 10 salespeople are, are terrible human beings. And that, <laughs> you know, for me, that is the complete anth antithesis of what sales is really about, which I, I think it's about helping people. I know that's maybe cliche and cringe and people are like, no, it's really about scamming people out of their money. But, you know, ultimately right. for me, it's about identifying people's problems and their pain points. And you know, a lot of times I don't even really sell hard to people. If, if somebody has a problem and my solution doesn't solve that problem, then it's really not a great fit. And I, mean, I, you know, right. I send you pricing, but like you actually need a different solution. And that also builds a lot of trust and rapport with people. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm big into relationships and I also try to have fun. I think that's a really important thing for a career and why a lot of people probably gravitated to events in the first place is because they like to have fun. So mm -hmm. I try to have fun with clients. I'm also an undercover marketer, which is partially <laughs> why and how I was using LinkedIn. I, it was a time when I was doing a lot of outbound sales and people were like, just call more people and leave more voicemails. And I was like, look, I will do that, but that can't be my only strategy. Like, right. let's just, let's be honest about the world we live in, which is information enabled. We know that people are reviewing products for hours before they buy them. They're reviewing them online. They'll literally drive to Best Buy, pick up the product, put it back down, drive home and go buy it on their cell phone. So we know that this is the type of consumer behavior that myself engage in as well. I buy a lot of things using Amazon, using different online sites. So I was like, I need to go where my customers and my clients are. I need to create value for them and give them a reason to pay attention to me. So I started writing a lot of articles on LinkedIn and producing other type of content and reaching out saying, Hey, check out this article that I just wrote about how nonprofits can save money with different tactics for audiovisual. Check out this uh, article I just wrote about projection mapping and this project that I recently did highlighting cool stuff I was doing. So those are some of the, the things that I think are really a part of sales, especially mm -hmm. this you know, sales 2.0 that I've just really taken and run with. And again, try to have fun. It's interesting. You mentioned the kind of pre-qualification that people do now. I'm sure it's happens in the event world too, where, you know, your attendees are looking at what are other people saying online about your conference? What are past attendees, especially if it's a professional conference and if they have colleagues or friends in the industry that have attended, what are they saying about it, right? So it's not just pre-qualifying -qualifi for products, but for services, for experiences. Think about TripAdvisor, you think about Yelp. It's all about before I use my time to invest in this experience or this service, I want vetted from other people that it's worth my time, not just my money, but my time, because that's essentially what you're investing with these experiences, right? 
100%. And even in, in terms of, do I want to work with you? So, you know, I think we were briefly had a conversation about how sometimes when you post things online, people aren't actually engaging, but you have a lot of these like lurkers, online lurkers. And, and we love the lurkers. It's okay. You don't have to click the link. You don't have to like, lurkers, if we love you. you. Yeah. If it brought you joy or insight in any way, it's okay. You don't need to, you know, do the social signaling of liking or sharing or whatever. But the fact is also that people are doing that same research about individuals. So yes, you're going to go to the company's website, but you're also probably going to check out my profile and you're going to realize, oh, wow, this person is connected with more than 10,000 people. They have all these other experiences, all this other content is lending social credibility and brand value. And the other thing I think that there's been a shift where at a certain point when social media first came out and it was all just like people getting drunk and posting pictures, you know, from college on Facebook and you had organizations saying, do not post anything on social media or you will be fired. And then at a certain point you had people that were developing valuable brands and you are starting to see this even 10 times now more with all the TikTok content for LinkedIn and people in, mm-hmm. who are creating funny sales content, um, where now brands are saying, wow, this is incredibly valuable. They can get organic reach that we could never get. And a- another great example that I always bring up is that LeBron James now, his individual Instagram has more followers than the NBA, MLB, and the NFL combined. Okay, mm-hmm. so Tim Cook has more than twice as many followers than Apple does on Twitter. So we're seeing this shift where the the actual individuals, you can call it personal branding or whatever, you know, their their digital identity is extremely valuable as people are making these decisions. So it's it's interesting. I just stumbled upon the Refine Labs business oh, I'm so, and yes. <laughs> and it's just they have nailed it when you look at Every, almost every single employee has a pretty strong brand within their individual field. Yes, it's a marketing and sales related company in terms of like the service that they sell, but you know, they've got, you know, salespeople, they've got marketing people, they've got uh, their VP of talent is, has a really big presence. And so when you think about the fact that yes, people buy from people, you connect with people, you look at their individual posts. Yes, the company does really well, Refine Labs, but if you look at their individual posts and the presence that they bring, so many companies are missing the mark with just using the, like you said, the organic reach of you know their employees and encouraging that, encouraging employees to have a personal brand. I gave a talk at uh, MPI last year and it was talking about why event professionals need an entrepreneurial mindset. And that's a big piece Mm. of it is just, you look at a company like uh, it's all over the news right now, Peloton uh, just laid off a bunch of people, Mm. Um, Willow Tree laid off people uh, like a month or so back. There was a bunch of layoffs in December that hit the headlines and you may love your job. You may be at a great company. You may love the work that you do, but at the end of the day, who you are as an individual, the value that you bring is not necessarily tied to that brand. And so as individuals, some of us are losing out on big opportunities by not embracing the value that we bring to the table and shouting it out to the world. It's okay. I think a lot of people might think it's really um, vain or, you know, kind of prideful, but people aren't going to know if you don't share it. I know a lot of people that do really amazing great events behind the scenes no one knows like they're working with big brands these are huge events 
great experiential activations and no one knows who they are because they don't have a personal brand. So the event is getting all these kudos, it's winning awards, and this person is behind the shadows. Basically, the, the brand is getting all of that recognition on behalf of that individual. So I think it's important. I think probably half of my LinkedIn followers may have come from you, John, because you <laughs> interact with my stuff. And so that's how people are finding me. So I'm just glad to be in, you know, your aura, your presence, because I know that it's, it's helping expand my reach as well. Stop it. You know, I'm such a fan <laughs> of yours. I was saying to you, you know, privately before we got on the call that I'm just a huge Deanna stan. And, um, you know, like, so real quick. Yeah. Chris Walker from Refine Labs is a genius. And the things that he's saying is like, this is kind of back to my conversation about why I started to diversify my strategy as a sales professional to use content marketing is that there are things that we know as consumers or as the attendees that we do not like, or that we would not want to be communicated in that way. But then we still have these top-down directives to, to do these tactics, you know? So mm -hmm. he's one of the people who is like, this doesn't make sense. This is what you really should be doing. And honestly has grown a massive business and massive following from doing podcasts. And, mm -hmm. um, it's just a great example also of like, you know, LinkedIn as a channel, there's a lot of people who hate LinkedIn too. Let's just be honest and real about this. And there's great reasons why they do because they're being spammed. They're feeling mm -hmm. that, you know, there's superficial types of interactions on it or whatever, you know, for you and me, we don't have that same kind of relationship with the platform. Partially. I think also it depends on like, how much are you giving? What is the value you're providing? You know? So even if right. uh, like one of my favorite things to do is like post and turn it off. Ice T had this really like legendary tweet it was like something like, um, like I, you know, I get in, talk a little shit and get off. And I feel like a lot of times <laughs> people also don't understand that there'll be like, John, all you do all day long is post on LinkedIn. And it's like, no, I actually am very strategic with my time and how, mm -hmm. how but I'm consistent. So you may log in once every other month. I'm logged in every single day and posting two or three times a day or interacting with people in, and that is where you start to see those compounding gains over year over year. So I, at a certain point I was just trying to do growth hacking and I was like sending out 50 connection requests per day. Right. And oh my God. I, I don't recommend this. All right. First off, you know, but learn from John. But, yeah. But if you were to do one a day or five a day, if you were to do five a day and you were to do somewhere around a thousand a year and do that for 10 years, that's 10,000. And people are not thinking about their content strategy or their career in that way. And tragically, like you were saying too, a lot of times we wait until, you know, there's been layoffs or there's been a life change. And then all of a sudden now you need to, you need your network when you weren't building it, you know? So I totally agree with you on that. And I think just in general too, that, uh, your, your comment about, you know, being an entrepreneur is that people don't understand that like you as an individual, you are a company. You know, like whether or not you have an LLC, whether or not people are writing you checks. And one of the things I started doing when I was like, okay, now I've got 5,000 followers on LinkedIn. 
I need to start getting paid for this. Like, yeah, I'm writing this content, but like, yeah. And I have a full-time job and it's helping me close deals, but like, where's the value exchange? So I started actually reaching out to companies directly to their PR teams and saying, Hey, I would like a free copy of this software. Sometimes it was thousand dollars, a $5,000 piece of software. And I'll review it here. And I was like, wrote this very similar to if it was a sales approach. And I started receiving all this, this free software to review. And so again, for me, it was like, it was an experiment of how can I take what I'm building and turn that into value? And I think people missed that in terms of also, you don't know how posting could affect your own company. So like there's a monetary value associated with every time you post something, posting for your event. And also if you're in sales and you start posting every single time your organization, the marketing team pays attention. They know they will, Mm -hmm. they will say, they will reach out. You will become their new best friend. So these are the kind of things I think we can all be real champions. And just the one last thing that I think everyone should really take a note uh, from Deanna is that she's an exceptional cheerleader and someone who's always commenting on other people's content. And so this is also, and I I know that eventually we're going to like, we're just having so much fun talking about uh, marketing and influencing, (laughs) but back to events is that again, like how do you drive engagement with events? This is like this mystery, especially virtual. I think uh, in some ways people are even more perplexed about how to do this. And a lot of it has to do with this quote unquote commenting or the dialogue that takes place where people show up, they're like, I'm going to create a Twitter. Okay. So they go on Twitter and they like tweet something and you know, it's called when you don't have any followers, it's referred to as tweeting into the void. And I feel like (laughs) so many times people are like, I'm going to, you know, come out with this tweet. It's going to be the most insanely insightful thing since Socrates, you know, people are just going to be mind blown by it. And then there's like crickets as opposed to showing up for your community. What does that really look like? That means that you're engaging with what they're doing. That means you're sharing what they're doing and commenting on what they're doing and not making it only about yourself. So, yeah, yeah. I love, I love that, that, uh, community first thought process and it being a two way conversation. Um, and again, to kind of bring it back around to events, what we've seen, you know, it's currently today is February 10th of 2022. And what we've seen over the past 18 months is just this huge push for people to be back in person with events. Obviously, John sells a virtual event platform, so he's got a little hybrid, bit of stake. So, you know, <laughs> Sorry, we also do in person as well, you know, but and like, and I'm like a huge fan of in person events. Like I was mentioning before, I have a huge career that was doing concerts and live events and, you know, celebrities and all those kind of things. So I'm clearly not rooting for coronavirus in more ways than one. However, However, there's been such a push to get back in person. (laughs) And we're getting some research now that it seems like event professionals are just so gung-ho to get back in person, but our attendees aren't necessarily quite there. Uh, Not in, and it depends on the sector. Some sectors, um, my former employer, they're in like the construction space. So it's a little bit more... Um, politically conservative, and they're a little sure. bit more open to meeting in person. They're having a banner year for attendance this year. 
but in other spaces, in medical spaces, in maybe association spaces, some of your attendees just aren't comfortable traveling. It doesn't matter if you're comfortable, if your stakeholders are comfortable, and you know your sponsors want to be back in person. If your attendees <laughs> are not comfortable, they're not comfortable. So are you having that dialogue with them, whether it's on social media or if it's, you know, on the phone. I mean, that's a right. novel concept in 2022, but picking up the phone <laughs> and talking to people that may come to your event, are you actually having conversations with the people that you're creating this experience for to make sure that it's what they actually want? Cool. Yeah, that is a novel concept to ask people. <laughs> um, yeah, just so much going on there. I think, you know, one of the things that you're touching on too is that different communities have different cultures or they're how, how, like even if you fly to different states, like it, it's literally night and day based on what the COVID situation is, not just like the actual like hospitalization and, and mortality, but the, right. uh, the cultural perception. Yes, exactly. So the other thing is, I think you probably have a lot more of the executives who are anxious to get back in person. They don't feel comfortable in a virtual environment. They don't feel comfortable presenting to a, their computer as opposed to on stage where they get to be a celebrity for the moment. All these kind of things are part of that, that maybe they, they had a more traditional sales background at some point in their career. So they, they really love the shaking hands and all those kind of things. And so they are dictating down to their attendees and to the uh, event experience. Let's not even mention that they had, in some cases, two to four to 10 times the amount of attendance the very first year that everyone went virtual and digital. Let's not even mention the enhanced analytics, which are virtually impossible to create an in-person. The, the value proposition mm -hmm. of digital and of uh, virtual and hybrid events is extraordinary. And right. that people, to your point about record attendance for in-person for some of these conferences and events, you know, sometimes called revenge attending, which is that now that that privilege and that right has been taken away from people, their freedom to mm -hmm. meet in person, that people are, you know, really excited to go back into in-person. And I think that obviously that's great, especially for concerts and, and, and things like that and ways right. that people can gather safely. But I also think your, your point about, are we really being attendee centric? Are we asking people, what did they want? What is the way that they want to be communicated? All these kind of things. One of the things I love the statement that virtual and hybrid events are radically inclusive, you know, mm -hmm. like how many in-person events before where did you see closed captioning on the screen? Right. None. You know, that, like there, there are so many elements of whether that's people who are medically fragile, whether that's uh, people who it's, it's challenging for them to travel for one reason or another mm -hmm. with, a, that's like agoraphobia. Like there's, I mean, there's tons of outlier cases of people right. who had challenges with meeting people who have uh, issues with anxiety, all these kind of things. And now we're just saying like, well, actually the CEO wants to meet in person. So too bad, mm -hmm. you know, too bad to our record attendance and our increased user base um, that, that, you know, that you bring up a lot of really important questions, but also I think asking attendees and asking your, your stakeholders what they want is inherently valuable. You know, we always want this, mm -hmm. you know, the survey you were talking, uh, I think a little bit about like, uh, you know, Yelp and TripAdvisor culture. We always want that as a metric immediately after the event, but like never like a month or two prior or during the planning process. Do we right. take people out in a focus group and do we say, 
hey, like, can you give us a really more of a deep dive into your needs and into what is important to you about the event? What, what mm -hmm. type of sessions are really important to you? Hey, is it more important that we get a, a huge keynote or someone who's like really interesting uh, niche in your, in your industry or field? Is it super important to you that we have the CEO or would you actually rather hear from a diverse group of people on the stage? All these kind of issues that actually we kind of intuitively already know the answer to, you know, but we have to somehow justify to the executives right. with research from our attendees. Hello, experienced junkies. Thanks for listening to the show. If you are in need of a show host, an event MC, a panel moderator or speaker, feel free to contact me at Deanna at DeannaCamille.com for more information. I would love to come to your show, your event, or your experience and help set the tone with the emotions and objectives your organization has for your guests. Reach out today for more information on how you can bring the experience junkies vibe to your next engagement. It's just such a reminder that um, experience design can be a really community-led thing right? You can involve not just your stakeholders, not just your sponsors, but the people who are going to be consuming the experience. What do you want to see? What is the pathway that you're on? Kind of going back to your career, John, you've kind of had a windy path. Like I would say, similarly, if we go back to our college age times, we both have had really outlier type of experiences. And you started as like an adventure guide. You worked at the Playboy Mansion. Like what did some of these earliest experiences uh, in the event industry kind of teach you about um, experience design as a whole? Yeah, I was also a personal trainer. I worked as a sushi chef. I did uh, like a lot, a lot of different things. And I think you really everyone have been all over the map. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think everyone should experiment more or less. You know, I've learned so much from each one of these different experiences and they've all kind of led and, and built uh, up to each other. So specifically about the adventure guide experience, um, I was working at Sacramento State. They had a challenge course. So like, you know, ropes course with all these different obstacles, high element, low element. And actually I, I was there studying outdoor recreation and, uh, you know, maybe to potentially become like a, a ranger or, or, you know, uh, outdoor wildlife scientist or something like, that. I don't know. Um, mostly just wanted to have fun and, and go uh, adventure in Northern California. But the things that I learned about group facilitation from working at the ropes course were incredibly valuable like how to ask questions. So I find myself using all these skills as a salesperson. I thought I was there to lead rock climbing trips, but I was actually doing <laughs> training about how to, you know, ask questions and dive deeper into people's pain points. Who knew, right? Exactly. And, uh, and also like, so if you think it's hard to captivate someone during an hour long podcast, like we're doing or during a virtual event, imagine having 60 fifth graders, that you have to try to get all of their attention from, you know, fidgeting or whatever, and to play a game. And we would play no prop games, you know, like these are the kind of things that were, it was an extraordinary experience. It was, uh, it was really challenging, long days. Sometimes it was like 100, 510 degrees outside, like, you know, and I wouldn't have changed it for the world. But the other thing that I think, you know, an adventure, uh, my wife, who also worked as an adventure guide with me at that time, and who she was leading trips in Ecuador prior to that. And uh, one of the sayings when she was with that group was that an adventure is a bad situation with a good attitude. 
And oh. I think I think that there's so many parallels about adventure and about travel and hospitality in general, or the that are parallel to the attendee journey, whether that's at an in-person event, whether that's, you know, a, a digital or virtual experience. And so I think a lot about that in terms of some of the stages that even sometimes we omit from the event process, whether that's like, you know, when you go on an adventure trip, like you have the planning, you have the, you know, the, the pre-trip meeting, you have all these kind of different things that happen and that probably some of those things should be incorporated uh, into experience design. So, so those are some of the things. And then, yeah, you know, like I mentioned, I, I did work at the Playboy Mansion. That was when I was going to school at UCLA. This was my first kind of window into celebrity and, you know, DJ Bismarcky and DJ AM and all these meeting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and like all this kind of cool stuff. And I think that, um, you know, we were talking a little about this earlier, like no one ever really told me this was a thing. Like mm -hmm. no one in high school told me that I could go throw celebrity parties and like make a whole career and support my family or that I could right. be involved in some of the most interesting conversations with some of the, you know, the, the most, not at the Playboy Mansion, but at conferences and events <laughs> where I've had a, a front row seat to some of the, you know, most intelligent minds of our time, you know, meeting mm -hmm. people like uh, Salim Ishmael and Peter Diamantes from Singularity University and, and people like that who have totally inspired me to go out and read their books and to see the world in a different way. So, uh, you know, but one thing I will say, I always love to Chef Carter from the executive Chef Carter from the Playboy Mansion used to say, smile, it makes the food taste better. And, uh, you know, yes, I was because not... that's what everyone's thinking about at the Playboy Mansion is the food. And the, well, um... <laughs> there's an interesting dynamic on that because there, you know, a lot of these women also, they are either anorexic or bulimic. They have, you know, different, uh, mm -hmm. you know, body image issues and stuff like that. And so they would be like, what is that? Like, what is the food that you have? And we had this whole like long sentence, like this is the, you know, Alaskan salmon that's been charred with maple glaze and the, you know, uh, balsamic or whatever. And instead of doing that at a certain point, I would just say it is delicious. You have to try it. And, um, <laughs> and, and just smile. And I had a lot to smile over for a 19 year old, you know, uh, also right. the, you had uh, many reasons to smile around you, huh? <laughs> and I think the other side of that is that I, uh, people don't like to hear this, but I actually thought the Playboy Mansion was a really dark place and I quit my job and I was one of the only people to ever quit there because everyone else either stays and works forever or gets fired. But it was like the epitome of Los Angeles to me and I basically was just like over it. So um, mm -hmm. I think that it, like many other things, when I was working as a sushi chef, you know, or when I, I was a dishwasher briefly at a Japanese restaurant and it's like, it was a great chapter. I learned how to turn a carrot into a butterfly and I learned about plating mm -hmm. and I learned about how to cook rice and all these kind of things. And I took from that experience what I needed. And then it was time for me to move on and, and apply those lessons to other things. Uh, but if you ever come to my house, you, um, yeah, now I'm just the executive chef at my, uh, in my kitchen for my, uh, <laughs> wife and my two kids. And you can still, still hear me shouting plating, uh, when it's right. time to, uh, to eat. So turning carrots into butterflies is a very essential skill. <laughs> for feeding small children. So I think that um, who knew 20, you know, however many years later that, you know, that that early uh, experience was going to help you be a better parent. 
don't play with your food. Like these are the things that our, you know, our parents used to tell us. And then now it's kind of come full circle of like food is art. And, uh, and yeah. Uh, so all those kind of things that I think eventually led me to when I eventually I went to go work at the hard rock hotel again, uh, incredible experience originally working as part of the sales and catering team. And, uh, I was kind of like a, a, banquet coordinator. The role was actually called roadie because it was associated with the whole hard rock hotel brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you were a roadie that didn't travel. Exactly. And uh, also <laughs> like, it was more like the, it was like an assistant to the event planners who were on site with the organizations. And so work meeting a lot of really incredible event planners and people, the very first event that I was there, uh, vanilla ice performed for, this was for a corporate event. And I'm like, what? is going on here you know like i didn't know this this is what y'all do at a conference like uh, oh yeah these, that... these corporate parties can put some uh private parties to shame let's just put it 100 <laughs> oh yeah they can run up a bar tab for sure and then i was really fascinated with the audiovisual aspect of it both from my background as a dj and and i'm also a musician and so i just kind of dove into that aspect and got to produce events with like you know John Bon Jovi. My first lighting gig was Walk a Flock of Flame and Far East Movement and like, you know, big concerts that are, this is not your average audiovisual, in-house audiovisual. But again, I, you know, I had just some incredible experiences and I think some of it is about, you know, for people who want to get it, you know, break into this, whether that's like you want to be in an experience design or you want to be a show caller, you want to be a technical director or, or, you know, audio engineer or whatever it is you know, part of it is really being at the right place at the right time and finding people that you can learn from and taking the self-initiative to learn things. So I just like read the manual for the lighting console and like watched five hours worth of, you know, I just taught myself, like no one gave me permission to do it. I was just like, I could do it. Like, okay, here we go. And then that's opened up some incredible experiences, uh, that, you know, really treasure and some of the funnest, coolest, uh, chapters of my life. So talking about those experiences, I'm sure, you know, through all of your time as a roadie, your time, you know, at the Playboy Mansion, your time at Hard Rock, uh, and even up to now, you know, kind of helping with these virtual and hybrid experiences, has there been a person along the way, uh, whether it's an event professional or a colleague or, you know, some of these celebrities that you work with that just really left an indelible impact or you just, you know, you walked away from that experience just kind of like, stunned uh for lack of better term and you will never forget about is there any is there anything that you could share about a person that really just kind of left that mark on you yeah i mean there there are so many people and i'm I'm so grateful to throughout my career i think some of the like notable people that like they probably don't even realize like wonderful gentleman named Ryan Lee, who was an event manager that I worked with at the Hard Rock Hotel and then later at the Hotel Solomar. Just, you know, I just, I think I learned from what I learned from event planners in general and people who actually, especially either on the hotel side or corporate event planners is attention to detail. Like, you know, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to read over the BEOs, right? Uh, Banquet event orders. Okay, but like, are you like really reading every single line? Like, he would catch things on this. Like, why is there this typo? Like, this is a contract with the client. You know, this change this mm-hmm. now. And I think that that's something that I still like when I create a quote and like, you know, there's 
on the product line, if like one word is capitalized and the other word is not, and I'm like, this is unacceptable. You know, like those are the kind of things that I've kind of internalized with my own perfectionism that I try to, you know, uh, make peace with on a regular basis. But um, I just think that all of the really incredible experience designers, uh, event professionals, whether that's someone who's doing projection mapping across the side of a hotel or doing a massive concert or just hosting a small intimate dinner, that they are acutely aware of the details and paying attention to, you know, Hey, this spoon needs to be polished. Like those kind of small things. And then let's not forget that same level of detail as we go into, uh, digital and virtual. So like great example, the checklist that you sent me for this podcast, right? Hello. It's a little exhaustive, a little Love OCD. it. <laughs> Love it. Okay. And I'm saying like most people do not, who are doing a podcast are not sending, like, I felt like I was like going on Joe Rogan or something. I was like, this is like totally <laughs> legit. Like you're asking me I to promise send the I don't form. have a podcast manager. It's just me. <laughs> Exceptional. But I think that those are the kind of things I, you know, event planners and people who are also in audiovisual production and things like that, who are, you have to be extremely organized. Otherwise things fall apart. And so, um, just that level of attention to detail, uh, there's just so many people that I could really shout out. And, um, you know, I think ultimately the people who have always really struck me are the people who just really own their subject matter expertise, love what they do and, um, are just, uh, admired by their peers. Like who's the person, like if you had a problem that you would call, you know, like those, like be that person. You know, like, especially if you're an audiovisual production, like, you know, there's certain people that's like, you, like, I even get calls these days, people, there's a, a, a video mapping and uh, LED wall video playback program called Resolum, which I've written articles about it. I've done big LED wall shows with it. I've done projection mapping. And I literally have people like call me up and be like, Hey, I'm trying to troubleshoot something. And I'll like go into the matrix. I'm like, okay, go into uh, the settings panel. I'm like, you know, have to like imagine <laughs> the user interface. I don't even have the computer in front of me. You're but like they, immersing like, yourself in, in it, you know, in your mind. I have to jump into the matrix. But that really what that comes from is from years of practice of like owning your craft. And, and those are the kind of things like I always gravitate to those, those types of people. And, um, yeah, so it's, a lot of it is just time and, and effort that goes into it. The attention to detail piece that you mentioned, I think back to, banquet servers that I've worked with when I was a server um, years and years ago, or even, you know, at events that I've gone to and polishing the silverware, putting out the butter plates and making sure that the butter is out uh, in advance. So it's not frozen when people are bringing the <laughs> bread, making sure the bread is heated up before, you know, these are the types of things you see people that they're doing in a lot of respects. Sometimes it is monotonous, repetitive work, but having pride in your work, regardless of if people see it as consequential or not, but really taking ownership, as you mentioned, um, to this little task. And in the greater scheme of things, this little detail, it's not necessarily going to make their experience, but best believe, I find that a lot of times those little details, when they aren't in place, they will break someone's experience. So it's key to not forget them, not forget the minutia, um, especially on a virtual or digital or hybrid event because, you know, every little step, every little attendee journey 
is slightly different. And so one little backslash in the wrong place, one little extra colon and that link is broken and now they've had a terrible experience. So it's it's a yep. really good reminder to to not lose sight of the minutia. Totally. Like all the, the little uh, animation graphics, uh, is there music or is there a video role that's playing when people actually arrive to the session before it started? All those kind of things that like you would never, could you imagine walking into a massive general session and there's like no music on and there's nothing oh on the screen? Oh my God. Talk about you know, awkward. <laughs> we are literally doing that. We, people are doing that every day with virtual events. What is going on people? Mm -hmm. Hello. Mm -hmm. Insane. Uh, real quick, totally sidetracked. I don't know if you, um, I, I was a big fan of Su Succession, which was a TV show on HBO. Um, there's I this unfortunately binged the first season and I was just thoroughly <laughs> disturbed. But yes, I'm familiar. <laughs> there's this hilarious, I think it may have been in the second season of, uh, there's a birthday party. The oldest brother is being like the, basically he's like managing the event. And he said the exact same thing about the, the butter. He's like, the butter is not melted. And yes, like, people I remember are, what you're talking about. People yes. are, you know, like you're, <laughs> you know, crushing the bread as you're trying to spread it. And like, he goes backstage and he's like screaming at everybody. And then like a half hour later, like the performance happens really well. And he comes back and he's like, I just want to say guys, great job and everything. But, and he also had yelled at one of the banquet servers because like the, the spoons were parallel as opposed to like one slide by side. And I was just dying as I was watching that because obviously it's never okay to be disrespectful to anyone at an event or anyone at a restaurant. I think if you've ever worked in service, like you have a certain reverence and respect and appreciation for people in the service industry, but also that like you still have those really high standards and expectations. I still want to have someone fill up my glass of water when I sit down at a restaurant. I'm not going to be a jerk about it, but it's right. an expectation because that is the level of service that I would provide. You know, mm -hmm. so again, and don't even get me started with like how food was such an important element of events and then virtual is basically completely taken away. Like we, mm -hmm. we, we're not even any way seeing organizations for the most part exploring like, Hey, how can we do something where everyone has the same food delivered to their house with Uber eats, or there's some kind of a gift package, which has different things at different times that people open, you know, a lot of these things, people say that it just doesn't scale because of economics, but the reality is that I think let's just, let's be honest, event professionals, we are exhausted and burnt out and there's only so many things we can manage and there's and in the budgets are shrinking the staffing is shrinking we just don't even have like the creative time or you know let alone the budgets to do some of these really provocative things that we could still do and incorporate and bring back that magic like literally people were traveling to these five diamond resorts for conferences low-key mm -hmm. because there's excellent food at this conference, you know, and that now right. that's taken away. And then now there's a box lunch and it's very mediocre. So then why would I travel in person? You know, exactly. uh, these are the kind of things that I think we really need to, you know, be honest and critical with. And it's not to the event planners it's to the people who are, you know, holding the purse strings on these events. Yes. Yes. Virtual does not mean cheaper. It does not mean uh, it by any means in some regards, it's more expensive. Let's be honest. If we want to try and have a lasting impact and imprint on those who uh, attend, I think 
you know, you gotta come with, with the purse strings. And it's funny because I did a, a Instagram reel that you commented on a few weeks ago. And I was talking about, you know, there's all these different trends coming into events like NFTs and the metaverse <laughs> and everything. And like event professionals, we're tired. We don't have time to like investigate all these, that, that's great. That's great that these new things can come to the table, but like, I just need someone to approve my budget. I need my speakers to arrive at their tech check on time. Like I just need the bare minimum. And when I get that and I get a break from, you know, COVID onslaught and Omicron, then maybe I will set aside some time to research these other things. But for now I'm doing the best I can. So thanks for mentioning that because it's, it's hard out here. We get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have executives and different people that read random headline and be like, okay, we have to have an NFT at the event. It's like, okay, the average demographic of people at your event is between 48 and 62. Like none of these people have an Ethereum wallet. This is not a thing unless you're having a cryptocurrency conference probably don't need an NFT at your event, you know, right. There are maybe some outlier cases or some interesting things and interesting people who are doing things in that space. And I think that's also true about like virtual reality in the metaverse. It's like, yeah, it sounds great, but like, are you going to ship out uh, headsets, VR headsets to every single person who attends? Yeah, are you going to help them troubleshoot and figure out how to do this? Is this again, is this something attendees want? Or is this just like, it's a cool article in TechCrunch and then like moving on, you know? So yeah, and it, it expends a lot of the resources to actually do the event design and do the interesting, the thoughtful, like how does this event align with your mission of your company? Like, is was that even brought up at any point? Do people leave this event knowing what your mission statement was or why, what's the whole point of this? You know, say it again and, for the people in the back. What is the know, mission? Is it being, is it coming across in the event that the experience that you're creating? Do the attendees take it away with them when they leave? Like, it's sorry. like, you know, like, you know, uh, I like, get on my soapbox there for a second, John. Do you ever see commercials on like the golf channel and stuff like that, where you're like, what was that commercial for? Like they didn't, did they even put the logo <laughs> up? I, I feel like that's where we're at with a lot of corporate events is that they're like, you know, togetherness it was like is that togetherness a part of your your mission statement of your company like I, that's great that it makes you feel good or that you consulted an expensive marketing agency um but ultimately these are the kind of things uh that when we talk about event design experience design so every single email it doesn't have to explicitly reference your mission but is every email is every touch point is every speaker and guest that you invite are they aligned with the values and the mission of your organization? And that's a big like uh, question I don't think people are asking. Well, John, as we said before we even start hit the record button, we could probably talk for hours <laughs> and know. hours. Because we that's be friends, just what we like, do. I've, I know we already are, but like, you know, when you see somebody and you're like, oh my God, I really like you. And yeah, you're like, so I just want to say, I appreciate you. Like, uh, yeah, it's, I think there's also this other underlying antagonism between people who are quote unquote vendors and that is you know people who are providers for different services for event planners and that like so i've always felt like no like no but i am an event professional like i'm an event planner too like maybe i'm We're not all in it together right exactly and so that's really great i appreciate that you know you always have just been so kind to me and so uh, i think trying to create a real community you know people who are real community builders and they're incredibly important. So I just, you know, I have so much, you know, admiration, uh, for you and the, the work that you do in, um, uh, both like it, 
people don't realize it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to, to run a podcast. It's a lot of work, even just to post a sentence on LinkedIn, it takes time and energy. And so I think we all need to be our biggest cheerleaders and support each other in many ways we can. So, uh, if you're watching this or if you have gained any value from Deanna, then support her in a meaningful way, you know, like let's, let, let's go. <laughs> Thanks so much for that, John. Really appreciate it. And final question. I ask every guest this, so I'm going to put you on the spot, but, uh, if you look back over your career as an event professional and kind of the conversation we've had today, there's a song that could encapsulate that. What would it be and why? You know, I, I had to rack my brain about this and I feel like totally cliche for even saying this. So I'm going to say, uh, Drake started from the bottom. I mean, I think if I look back at my career, especially having been a dishwasher at a certain point in my career at a, a small Japanese restaurant in San Diego, like there were a lot of doors that were not open for me. Like I couldn't apply for the current job that I have now back then, if I had rewinded, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And so just wherever you're at in your career, like if you're watching this or maybe you just got laid off or maybe you're, you're at a job that you're not super happy or fulfilled at, and you're wondering like, how do I get to where I want to be at? Like, just realize that it, it takes a lot of time and there's a lot of steps that you may have to go through before you can get to where you ultimately want to be at. But I would just say also try to align yourself with people who you can learn from and grow with. And, um, I'm really grateful. Like I have a lot of other aspirations and things that I want to continue to build and be a part, but I also have to stop and remind myself like, oh yeah. Like when I, I remember when I was just a roadie and when I, I had my first daughter and I had to work the day after she was born because I had to be able to provide, you know, mm -hmm. I had to, I was just, I, I wasn't salary employee. I was an hourly employee. Right. So I have to remind myself that on days that I I'm feeling down or depressed or challenged that I've come a long way. So, yeah, that's a, that's an excellent reminder and a great way to end the episode. It's like, yeah, I started at Taco Bell <laughs> many Straight moons up. ago and, and worked <laughs> at a hotel and, and in the restaurant and in banquets. And my first job out of college, I was making like $37,000 a year. And fortunately I'm, I'm not where I was. I'm not where I want to be but I'm not right. where I was. And so that's a good kind of takeaway from this is, you know, just realize your growth, realize, you know, started from the bottom, now you're here and, you know, uh, appreciate those milestones all along the way. Absolutely. Well, hey. Well, thanks so much, John. And you. we're going to uh, tell people where they can find you and we'll put it in the show notes as well. Yes, I am extremely online. So uh, definitely look me up on <laughs> LinkedIn. I'm also very active on Twitter. So my first and last name uh, on Twitter. And um, yeah, just connect me and, and maybe even like in real life, if you ever see me out and about uh, at, either at a conference or event, and even if you don't know me, just come up and say hello and uh, hope to see you again in real life at some point. Yeah, unfortunately, we were planning on meeting up at IMAX and didn't happen, but we will meet okay. in real life and face-to-face, -face, maybe the metaverse down the road, but face-to-face <laughs> -face we will meet uh, as soon as possible. But thanks, John, and have a great rest of your day. You too, thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Experience Junkies podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify so that other listeners can find the show. 
be sure to join our Discord channel. This is a great place for you to give feedback, talk with me, talk with our guests and other listeners, and share your experience junkie tales. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day.